We acquired some duplexes subject to last week. And approximately 48 hours later, we received some nice correspondence from the lender that they were calling their loan due for these three properties. That's it's a $586,000 loan for these three duplexes that we are now working to get refinanced out. What's going on, guys? Welcome to today's episode of the Collecting Keys Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today is Wednesday. It's the Mike and Dan Show. This is the show where I, Mike DeHaan, and my co-host here at Dan Austin talk about real estate investing, wealth, and whatever else we feel like for the week. And uh, this is your first time to Collecting Keys. This is the show where we talk about how to make massive income, not just passive income through real estate investing because people don't realize that real estate doesn't have to be a get-rich-slow game. You can make a lot of money in this if you want to. There's a reason that you see a lot of real estate bros on yeah. Instagram these days. It's because it's not that complicated to figure it out if you just kind of put your head down and put it. Would I be considered a real estate bro? Dude, sometimes we get there. It is yeah. slightly worrisome, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> we have had long conversations about this. You know, you really try not to be, but there's like certain things that just, you know, come up every so often. I don't know. I feel like we don't do a lot of the typical real estate bro stuff. No, we don't. We're not like playing golf on like a Tuesday morning and taking pictures of our, like having our friend take a picture of us on the phone on the golf course and being like, deals never stop, baby. Rise and <laughs> Don't worry. We're out here working for you, our clients. Sounds terrible. Doing deals on a boat. Yeah. Hashtag real estate life. It's like my worst one. That is some cringe. Like real estate brokers, like that was like now that now we're stepping in the broker world because they're easier to make fun of. But like that was like all of like 21 in the first half of 22. And now it's just crickets. And now all, now all you hear is like date the rate, buy the home. You're like, <laughs> you guys aren't even like grinding out there anymore. I know. What's well, like you used to be in a boat. Now is that a, is that a studio apartment? Like, where are you? <laughs> exactly. I mean, we're making fun of brokers, but that's also most real estate investors right now. Anybody that's transactional focused, like uh, lenders and, and loan brokers too, it's tough because the transactions have slowed down and everybody's just fighting for stuff. You know what I mean? And so it's like, it's tough, but you got to, if you're going to be in the game long term, you got to be, you got to do something. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the great thing about investing, right? Is if you learn how to identify opportunity, then you do in fact keep assets for yourself with that kind of a long term vision, or you do buy stuff at a hefty discount which you should be doing as an investor. Yeah, yeah. There's really no reason you can't make money in any market. So down a little bit versus 2021, the stuff was on fire. Versus a realtor, it is very hard to be making a lot of money right now just because there isn't a ton of transactions yeah. and transactions are taking a lot longer than they were. Totally, yeah. You list a house and you know it could be 90, 120, 180 days before you see any, any money out of that thing. And so <laughs> it's a long transaction cycle. And it's one of those things too that actually is a, it's a thing in like, you know, we're not in like the realtor space, but like that's where they always try to coach these new people. Like, hey, take your commissions when it's good, when the market's great and everybody's making three, four thousand dollars a year in commissions and invest that into your passive income so that you can stay in the game long enough to hit that next upward cycle. And that's how you make the wealth in anything is like you can take your massive income, invest it so you have passive income in the low troughs and then you're back in the game when it's high again. Yeah, see, that would be the smart thing to do. Instead, they go, I'm investing in a boat. I'm investing in getting a tit job. And I'm going to go out. I'm investing in my marketing for my future real estate brand. And it's yeah. like, you tell yourself whatever you yeah. want. Yeah, get that suit, <laughs> gonna, dog. It's not going to work. Yeah, I'm buying the, the $20,000 suit and the nice yeah. car. Got to look the part if you're going to yeah. you know, be in the real estate game. 
my favorite is when you get those guys and they're like, people are going to like, trust me with these. I need to look the part. I'm like, bro, you sell $200,000 houses in Spokane, Washington. <laughs> like no one wants right. that at right. all. Right, exactly. Nobody needs to trust you right now. I mean, if, if you're if you're in Newport Beach, absolutely have the yeah. $20,000 suit and like the sports car. Because totally. when you're selling a $5 million house, that is kind of the expectation. That's what they expect. They don't want to be having you show up in your Toyota Camry. <laughs> right? Yeah. They want to yeah. know that they can talk to you eye to eye. Yeah. And, they, you know, they kind of get each other. And, and mm-hmm. you know, I imagine those circles as well. And that's what a price point house are probably really, really small. So, you know, probably helps if you like to, you know, network with that. Anyways, we digress. We have some super fun drama that I'm very breaking excited news. to talk about. Some breaking news. So, as you all know, if you are in the real estate investment space, Subject to mortgages are, or I guess subject to transactions rather, are all the rage right now. There is people out there, one in particular, Space Porby, whatever his name is. Rives or Shmish Morby. Shmish Morby, who likes to go around and talk about all these subject to transactions where you can buy houses basically for free. You can just quit claim the property into your name, take over the mortgage, inherit these super low rates. And that's how you're supposed to get deals right now. All well and good, perfectly valid concept. But as he likes to say, it is extremely low risk. And this thing that exists called the due on sale clause, which allows lenders to call in their loans due if there is a change of title. You don't have to worry about that because lenders never call it. He said in the thousands of deals he's done, it's only happened like once or twice. I think one time he even claimed to have due on sale clause insurance, which by the way, does not exist. I think he said that like on a podcast. Oh, dude, everything he says is He did this, I saw his video the other day. They did. The other thing was yesterday. And he was talking about like the power of meetups. He's like saying this to other people. And he's like, I was at a meetup. I turned to this one guy and I said, what do you need right now? And he's like, I'm trying to do this development. I need a million dollars to complete it. And he goes, okay. And so I turned to my left. I talked to this guy and I said, what do you need right now? And he's like, I have a million dollars. I need to figure out what to do with it. And I introduced them to each other. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. That did not. Definitely did not happen. Most of the meetups I go to, people don't have a million dollars. That's why they're at the meetup. Exactly. Yeah. And but anyway, complete digression. But this due on sale clause, we bought some duplexes. I guess we acquired some duplexes subject to last week. And approximately 48 hours later, we received some nice correspondence from the lender that they were calling their loan due for these three properties. And, you know, it is December at time of recording. Um, but basically, we bought these properties doing the full process with these subject twos, uh-huh. which you can learn about how to do it the correct way. If you go to collectingqs.com slash sub two, we have a little course we put together about how you're supposed to structure these deals to protect yourself and to protect the seller. Uh-huh. We went all through all that exactly as it's in that course. We got through, it's a DSCR lender. So basically an investment grade lender. They typically hold more of their loans on the books, do different things. My hypothesis is that end of the year, they were probably doing their auditing on all their loans. They saw the title change. They called us. They like basically saw the new LLC. They looked us up because LLC um, contacts typically public knowledge. They definitely saw our LLC name and were like, what the Probably fuck? did, yeah. But um, <laughs> they uh, figured out who we were. They called us, wanted to know the situation. I'm not trying to commit fraud. So we didn't like try to lie that we were connected to the previous owner. We, yeah. There's no point lying. That There's is no literally a great lying. way to go to jail. So we told them that we had or not yeah, make, not make it, it easy. easy. So we told them we bought these properties, received an email the next day saying that they were calling their loan due at the end of the month. And so 
That's it's a $586,000 loan for these three duplexes that we are now working to get refinanced out. Mm-hmm. And it's been an interesting ordeal because the first response that I had back, the guy who like emailed us, who's one of the partners. Total dork. Yeah, total dork. That the loan agreement has been violated and they will be calling the loan due. 30 days. 30 days. They said they gave us 30 days. Yeah, I responded back and said like, gotcha, like we understand. Is there any way that we can get approved for the loan with you? You know, just like basically assume it, do all these different things. We had a bunch of back and forth. The guy was totally noncommittal and freaking drove me crazy for the past week. And yeah. then finally today, they said, no, they're not going to allow. They would rather just get paid off. So we are working with a different lender to get the loan going. Which is interesting because that their business is a loan business. origination. So you would think that they would want to make the money because they're going to get paid off either way. And even even sharing with them like, hey, we've done hundreds of transactions. Like we're not just some schmuck that listened to a, a course online and trying to go sub two. Like we're willing to work with you guys. Like let's do it. And they're just, I don't know, they're kind of just, that's what I've always kind of theorized with this is like, there could be one person inside of a bank or an institution that just says, I'm going to be the hard dick on this. Mm-hmm. And you're this. And so, you know, you get made the example. And they totally could, right? Like if you think about the complexity of what that would take for a bank to do an investigation like that, it would not be very hard. All they'd have to do is, mm-hmm. you know, get their entire sheet of their loans, go through, and you could pay a VA to do this. They, like totally. Wells Fargo could freaking go on Fiverr and hire a $5 an hour right. VA to go through and check every single loan, the title of the loan versus who is, you know, actually to title the loan versus title of the property. Totally. And anyone that's different, they just flag it and they give them a call. Yeah, right. exactly. And and that's something that very theoretically could happen. And I think that the fact that this happened so quickly is a great example of what could potentially start happening here in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, and we are fortunate in the way that we are able to, you know, we have lender connections, we're able to move this relatively quickly. One of the interesting situations that we have uh, realized we're going to face here is that most lenders, they have seasoning requirements for refinances. So a lot of people may be thinking in the situation, okay, that's great. I'm going to just go get a refinance for the loan amount that I'm inheriting. Uh No, because we haven't owned it for 90 days, okay, or six months with some lenders. So other lenders are not letting us refinance right now. Basically, they're making us do what's called a delayed purchase loan where they are refinancing it as if we had purchased it. And since we didn't put any money down on these properties, they are making us bring 10% down on this purchase, which is like 60 okay. grand. So if we were newbies that did it, I just happened to have $60,000 lying around, we'd be in big freaking trouble right now. Right, so if you had no money and you were going to go and do a sub two deal, because that's how you do real estate with no money, you really just put yourself into mm-hmm. a bind. And I think the key thing to note here is, is like when you're doing these types of transactions, the more complex they are, the more risk, typically the more risky they are. And with that additional risk, you just need to understand like what your reserves need to be like and how you need to operate around that. Cause like there's guys out there that are out there picking up 10, 12 properties all on subject to. Now, if your whole portfolio is based around that, A, good for you for you even be able to find that many deals like that are sub two capable. There may, I'm assuming those are deals if you own them, but really like, that is super risky because if even if one of those gets called or two or three, you're really big trouble. Now, the risk is still relatively low, but as we're showing and explaining, we're people doing real estate investing, real transactions. We're always super candid and open on what's going on in our business. And you're seeing this happen in real time with us. So it's definitely possible. And it's not like we're the needle in the haystack, right? It's just definitely possible. It probably happens more 
often than people know. We just have a platform to share it with. Yeah, you. I mean, it, well, it does happen because you see it even like the free group and it's funny because I always see those get posted and then the posts just seem to disappear. I'm pretty sure they go and they, they audit delete. them and they delete them. Oh, yeah. But, you know, like, if you are finding your own subject to deals, you're trying to negotiate them with sellers, if you're buying these sort of deals from wholesalers or other people, these are realistically things that can happen to you. And it's very important that you have a backup yeah. plan. You need to have a backup plan for lenders that you're going to go to. And I say lenders plural, because I went through five different lenders before I found one that mm -hmm. was willing to work with us. And we're fortunate that we have all these different relationships. We've been in the business for a while that we had options. If you needed to start from scratch, you could be completely up Shit's Creek in the situation, right? Also making sure you have some form of liquidity. Even if you are playing the no money down game, you need to have, you know, either a rich family member, a line of credit, your right. own 401k you can draw cash. on cash, whatever it is, you need to have that available to bail yourself out. That is a huge thing with cash, mm -hmm. right? Is cash is, A, it's a way to grow your portfolio and have investment opportunities. It is also a form of security insurance for when things ultimately go wrong in your business and with your real estate portfolio. Totally. Okay? If you don't have liquidity in some form, even if you just like, have like a rental portfolio, you're not looking to actively buy. If you have no liquidity and something goes wrong, you can get in very big trouble very, very quickly. And that's where, I mean, most people like running mm -hmm. issues is liquidity. When things get tough, money gets tight. And that's honestly, like Ponzi schemes, that's why they always fracture because they, they they run out of liquidity. Yeah. Same thing with everybody else. That's If you're in real estate, especially because it is a capital intensive business, having liquidity in different levers, like doesn't mean you sit on 500K, a million dollars in cash, you know, that's a lot of money to be sitting idle, but you should definitely have multiple lines of credits where you can. Obviously, credit cards are good, business credit cards, especially ones that don't have limits that you can use and temporary <laughs> needs, your own cash. You, you mentioned 401k, any type of lever, even if it's like, 25K here, 50K here, and it all adds up together where you can pull these levers as needed. That is so important. I think for you and I, like that's been one of the ways that we've been able to continue to operate even when we have shit like this happening. Because not only is this happening, but we also have an investor who has requested to have their money back properly. We knew this was going to happen. We're going to be giving him money back. So we were planning to, to kind of shift some things around to give him his money back. And then we have this issue and potentially, who knows, we could have another $100,000 issue within our business or portfolio, we've definitely been doing a lot of renovations on our rental properties that are probably over the next, between two months ago and two months from now, we're going to be putting a hundred grand into our rental properties for various reasons, right? So, you know, we are pulling on these different liquid lines of money to handle this. And if we hadn't done that, one thing could screw you up. Totally. One, one more dollar, if you don't have liquidity, could be the thing that breaks the canvas back. Yeah. And it, this is why I think it's so important to have like this massive income component to your business, you know? And so many people, they try to get into like the the lean fire real estate game. So you know, lean fire is like the financial independent retire early. They have like the lean version, which is basically like I cut all of my expenses and I try to live off very small amount. And basically I'm poor. Where I grew up, that's called <laughs> it's, being poor. It's called being honestly. poor, but not, you know, too poor to have like just only subsidies, right? Or whatever, I don't know. But People try to do that with real estate, but the problem is, is that is just ultimately setting yourself up for disaster. Like you will have problems. Uh -huh. And then same with if you were kind of doing one foot in, one foot out of, of real estate and you just have like a standard job that doesn't give you the ability to withstand some of these major financial you know, turbulent situations. Totally. You will eventually face a major crisis. And, you know, and it's funny, in hindsight too, I've thought about this. We've bought a lot of like distressed properties 
from landlords that are like put together people and you meet them and they're like, they have a job uh-huh. and something. And you're kind of like, why don't they fix the property? You know, why don't they do this? Because they didn't have enough freaking money, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or they yeah. put themselves in a bind. You know, here's a good example that I always remember this one. We bought, we bought a property from an older couple that were retired. They were like school teachers, like had a great careers, you know, did, did all sorts of stuff. They retired, they did good. And they moved from Spokane to like, it was like New York. And they bought a, a property that had a vineyard on it. Like this was their retirement. So they did that. And then at some point in time, it was time to sell that vineyard. And they put some of that money into a property in Spokane. And then they were moving back to Spokane. And lo and behold, they need to sell this property. So this is a huge chunk of their retirement. They pay like, say, 200 grand for this. I don't know what their complete net worth was, but it wasn't enough, you know, to be like, we're comfortable losing more money. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so they sold us the house because they had one rental property and the tenant stopped paying because of COVID and he was a dirtbag and they had, you know, taken what was their dream, sold it, wrapped it into some different investments and this happened to be one of them mm-hmm. and it failed. Yeah. That's what happens, right? If you don't have the ability to manage these properties and they were in a situation where they didn't have a massive income component because they were retired and they had done this move after they were retired, which is even probably tougher to do if you can't sustain like a storm, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, and it doesn't matter how nice the properties are that you buy, how careful you are with your underwriting, you know, like how good your property manager is, how well you screen your tenants. There will always be something that happens just regardless. I mean, I have a new build rental property that I had to put $6,000 into this year because the furnace and the AC unit just died for some reason, right? The house is like six years old, a little more than that. No. Yeah. Four years. Yeah, old. we have houses. We have houses with twenty-year furnaces they're in still them. They're still chugging, ch- chugging along. You you just you just don't know. That's exactly the point. Is you just don't know. Yeah. Right. And yeah. it's just interesting to see this. But to have the sub two one come full circle like this, I don't know. It's it's funny. Like the funny thing is, let me add to this. So we literally just launched our free sub two course. <laughs> like a like week, literally the same day, the same day, the same week. Right. And and we launched that course because. And with, this was something that we did to for our instant investor group. Like we gave it to them first. This was like a while ago. We decided there's a there's so much crap out there where it's like pay ten thousand dollars for this course so we can give you a line of bullshit. Not that they're not teaching you how to do stuff too, but they're teaching you how to like a line of bullshit on the back end. So in our course, we just stripped it down to the bare bones and it said here are the major issues with what you know could go wrong, and here's how to fix it, how to mitigate it, and protect everybody in the transaction, including this seller. <laughs> right. And so he just launched that because of that. And then lo and behold, like, the, I mean, you couldn't script this any differently, right? Lo and behold, we have literally a week later or something get called due on sale. Holy shit. Just crazy. I know. And and the fact that we've like ripped on that whole movement for so long too, and, and like really talked about the understated risks and like how overzealous people are to do these kind of yes. deals and to have one that mm-hmm. honestly was pretty cut and dry. Like there's no reason that it should have gotten as weird as it did. But like, just like clockwork, all can be like that. Just we should do like, a, well, we can append a case study. So like if you go to Collecting Keys, where is it? CollectingKeys.com slash sub two. And you have until, or, or are we still limiting until January 1st? I think that's the plan right now, yeah. Yeah, so January 1st, it's going to go, you know, only be exclusive access to our instant investor group. So you have to join our group to get it. But we'll give it away for free. If you go and download it now, I think you just put in your email. We will send you uh, like an email when we will append like a, maybe a 20 minute case study on what happened to us yeah. to that course. So you can get that for free, but you got to go get it now. So we have your email. There you go. That's a good one, actually. And how to actually get out of subject use that go wrong. How to get out of it. Now that we'll have like yeah. a real case study. I, like, I guess in, in a way, this is a, it's a, a good thing for those that are going to go and get that course because you'll get a real world 
um, example of what to do when things go wrong. Yeah, and not just something that's be like, it never happens, and if it does, you just gotta buy my subject to insurance from my fake company that doesn't actually freaking exist. That doesn't exist, just yeah. pay me money. So, but we should start that, actually, that company. Subject to insurance? Where's the money gonna come but from? But actually not, like, insure <laughs> anything. Just call it subject to right. insurance. It's almost like if you have a fake lending company called Flip Funds that you just write fake proof of funds for $20. <laughs> now you're just being a dick. <laughs> but nah, man, like it was interesting, but this is how I also knew that I was a grizzled veteran because this whole thing panned out and I was just like, God damn it. Like it wasn't like a stressful thing. It's like another thing that we have to deal with. But it's funny. That was one of the biggest sort of comments that people from our mastermind groups had about this or like people I told them about, they're like, are you like freaked out? And I'm like, no, it's just another thing. I don't know. Something you can do right. about it. There's also too, uh, I was saying to you before the show, I'm super grateful that I have you as like my partner for this because you're like the only other person I know that's like enough of just like kind of a logical blockhead where you're just like getting emotional about this isn't going to fix anything. So we might as well just right. be, Slight help. you know, straight line and, and honest about the situation. So I agree. And it also speaks to not just being like a veteran and, and having things like go wrong in this to us in this situation, but like, yeah, just the preparedness that we always have. You and I always talk about like, there's times where we've given up on deals or opportunity that like was right in front of us where we're like, you know what, that's pushing too far mm-hmm. past where we need to be from a, just having the proper levers or ability to pull multiple levers. Because like, as we talked about the different liquidity levers, as you pull on those, you have less to pull. Yeah. And so we have kind of like this mental bandwidth of limit where we want to stay within that for some reason, you and I have like fallen into the same category. Like we're not like way extreme on anything. Like we kind of like our decision-making on that kind of coincides, even though, I tend to be one way and you tend to be another way in different parts yeah. of your business, right? So I do think having that, having set up a business such that we're able to weather the storms is key. And a lot of people, when they're talking about all the cool shit they're doing, they either don't have that set up or they're not talking about that. So people kind of get caught up in the storm of like, I just want to be like them and do what they're doing. And then they get, they lose their ass. Yeah. And it only takes one deal like this to, to cause major, major mm-hmm. problems for you. Right. right. And that's the reason it's good to be conservative and not just be always doubling down is you start to do any sort of scale. You start taking large, larger risks. One deal that goes bad can destroy you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. It's important too to like give yourself some profits over time. So you're mm-hmm. not just rolling in a lot. It's a bad habit is to continuously roll your profits into your business. And the next thing you know, because if you think, what is like, there's a stat out there that like most businesses don't make it past one year, like small businesses and then like, or most started. Oh God, yeah, I'm sure. Most, almost like 90% don't make it past five years. So if you just are a statistician, you should recognize that you might not even be in business in five years from now. So you should definitely pay yourself something between now and then before that business goes away and you don't have anything to show for it. I'd be interested to see that stat, make sure like it didn't include like single person LLCs or things like that, because I feel like it's so easy of a stat to skew I'm trying to use it for my conversation here, so stop messing it up. Yeah, yeah, you're trying. You're trying to make it your truth. You're trying to do the the mainstream media thing where you just influence the uh, yeah exactly statistic to support your point. But like, if you think about it, because there's so many people too, like business wise, like that start restaurants and stuff like that, that just they like don't yeah. ever make it, right? You know what I mean? So there is a lot. I think there is something to it. But you're right. This the statistic might be a little bit skewed. But I guarantee you, for wholesalers, it's ninety nine percent. Oh, dude, most of them don't even get as far as starting LLC, or even better, they start the LLC, but they never actually market or make any offers. They just shut it down. You deal with a lot of those all the time. Absolutely, dude. man. I agree. So, anyways, that's our that's our current drama to sort of finish out the year, which has been interesting. Something else for the uh, 
little tool belt, I guess. One more life experience. One more thing for the, uh, one more notch on the belt. For the real estate <laughs> bingo card that we talked about like a month ago. I know. Gosh, dang. Some of these, I don't really want these. Yeah, I don't want to have to see. No, yeah, before. right. Yeah, it's like, it's like doom bingo. It's like bad if you get them. It's all bad shit. Yeah, exactly. When, yeah, when you get bingo, you're just screwed. <laughs> yeah, right. Got the trifecta, baby. Cool. Besides that, though, I didn't think we have anything too crazy going on. Just, it's actually been a pretty productive December uh-huh. um, in terms of like lead flow. I've been surprised at how high our lead flow has been compared to previous years. I think it's like more than For usual. December, it's way like, more than usual, which is interesting. Like, I'm not like my socks aren't blown off, but also like the quality I feel oh, yeah. good. I mean, we've been getting a lot of people yeah. coming in that are like, and it's funny because it's not even the typical no, like December, like, oh, I need to start really quick for taxes. But there are people that are like, hey, I've been sitting on this house as a major problem and now I'm starting to figure it out. What I keep going back to with this, I've been thinking about this a lot, is I think it was uh, JP Morgan Chase. They had like a, an article that came out. It was over the summer, it was in like August. And they were saying that if you look at the cash flow and the consumer debt, everyone's like quote unquote COVID savings and reserves in you know, from all the consumer accounts they can see was we're going to be running out in December. I would imagine we're honestly kind of reaching that because we have been getting a ton of people that are like pre-foreclosures. They have like kind of weird financial stuff going on that they don't always disclose to us until we get to the house. And they're like, actually, I'm declaring bankruptcy, you know, get a lot of those. And I'm wondering if that's basically just like the timing and the fact that it's Christmas and it's winter is purely just coincidental. And it's really just like the larger economic impact of kind of what they were talking about over the summer. I think so. Yeah. I think there's something to be said about it, right? Because I'm reading an article from the bostonfed.org. I just pulled it up from November 7th, 2023. That just basically says they're gone now. It's gone. Pandemic era excess savings is almost entirely depleted as of November 7th. So JP Morgan Chase actually had a good forecast there, um, according to your article that you quote existed, that I don't know if it does, but I feel like I remember that also. So I heard it on Aaron and Mooch Steggy's show. I'm going to say it was like in August, because I remember specifically listening to it when I was in Montana over the summer. Okay. It's fact. If he said it, honestly, it's probably fact. Yeah, dude, uh, dude he's, like, he's like one of the few guys that I like listen to what he says and not just like kind of question everything. By the way, did he go blonde? I think I saw that on his... I was going to make a comment on his post. I was like, did you go like really interesting article, but did you go blonde? <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> you should. Okay. Emma, okay. Maybe I'll comment next time I see it. Cause I just wasn't sure. I was like, damn it. I can't tell the lighting was kind of weird. He's kind of a funny guy. Like he likes to like go out and go to concerts and stuff. I'm like, did you go on to like an Eminem show and you're just trying to like look like Marshall Mathers or what are you doing? But, uh, and it, and I love it there. But yeah, so I like, that's kind of my assumption. And so I'm also assuming that going into next year, stuff might start to get really weird really quick. Cause also, even some like larger economic indicators that we're starting to see here locally. I don't know if people are seeing the same things other places. We're having like a lot of restaurants and stuff start to shut down here in town. A lot of like local businesses um, citing like financial issues and lack of business are starting to disappear here locally. And I'm kind of assuming that's happening other places too. But like, it's just a lot of, you know, not a lot of business. Like it's expensive to go out these days with inflation. It's expensive to have a business because of staff costs, yeah, but- rising, minimum wage, different things. And a lot of people just have less money. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I do think that we are really going to be going into a true recession here soon, like in this next year. You think so? I don't know. I, I got to formulate my opinion. My plan is to formulate it over the next couple of weeks and yeah. really dive into that because I have people on both sides of this argument that I really trust that are saying opposite things. 
and it's hard for me to kind of put together. I think it's going to be like a consumer based recession, right? So like people aren't going to be spending a lot of money on luxuries, but I also don't think that there is that many people whose, you know, necessities are going to be threatened compared to like past stuff, right? Like you're not going to see a ton of people who are like losing their homes compared to 2008 or, you know, the Great Depression, obviously. But you're going to see people doing a lot less discretionary spending um, and just right. a big pullback in that. I, I have understood that. I do agree with that, like logically, because like they're saying 2023 is more of a <laughs> business recession and they'll be the B2B and they'll be back in 2024. And so from an investment standpoint, you're probably good, right? Like if you want to continue to invest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right from a consumer standpoint, which could be good for us because then people need to, you know, sell their house. There's, there's a little bit more financial distress there. And this is something that like, why inflation hurts people. Inflation hurts because wages never go up the same amount. It pisses me off. It's yeah. frustrating. I get it from a capitalist standpoint, a running a corporation standpoint, like give your people as little as possible so you can make more profits because your profits are truly driven by the market and you need to make quarterly earnings. <laughs> you need to make annual earnings. You have a price per share, your profit per, uh, per share, that you're like giving out and needs to be within a bandwidth to your investors when they when they see it they're like you're too high or too low they don't they don't reward you if you earn over earn mm-hmm. or under earn right they really get upset about that but if inflation is running over nine percent how can you argue that a no no pay raise or a three percent or a five percent pay raise is okay for most companies if they're even doing a cost of living increase that's two to three percent over the last several years and they're going to dole out 5% and give you a high five and a good job. Like, look, we give you even more money than usual. But we all know inflation was running really high. And so that's where it really starts to hurt. Because if wages can go up with it, then it's fine, which is a great thing for everybody. But also maybe not the best for the economy because it's continuously, it, it just feeds the inflation more. But it's just so a frustrating mindset for most Americans and a reality for most Americans why the inflation hurts them so much. Yeah, and there's always this massive misconception, I think, with business owners that people do that selfishly because they're trying to like steal more money for themselves, which sometimes there's like that, right? I mean, as a business, there's some of that for sure. But like as a business owner, sorry, but I do deserve to make more money than my employees. Yes. Right. Because we have been, you know, doing this thing for five years. People regularly ask like, you know, because people say we've garbage is pretty fast. Like, well, yeah, because I've worked 12 hours a day, you know, six to seven days a week for the last five years. Okay. We've put a lot into it. We've done a lot of personal investments, financial investments, life sacrifices, a lot of risk, right? A lot of different things. Yeah. Taking a lot of risks. But I do also think there's a hell of a lot of businesses out there that just aren't doing very well, you know? And even though inflation's at 9%, they're probably pushing that profit margin to a point that, you know, they're probably stretching to even have those staff members. They literally can't afford to increase everyone's pay, keep up with inflation. And that's the reality of small businesses right now. So like, especially if you have some of these lower margin businesses that people do, like restaurants, like coffee shops. I mean, they can only charge so much for a sandwich, right? Before people stop paying for it. Just on principle. Yeah. You can only turn so many cups of coffee in an hour. Yeah. And after a while, you're going to reach a point where you literally are at like kind of the maximum amount that you can charge and your staff still has a certain expectation of what they want to get paid. And those become an issue. And the only thing that you can give up at that point is profit margin. Mm-hmm. And it's not like, you know, people that own coffee shops are making millions of dollars. Right. Like honestly. Right. And in in some scenarios, you can really truly put yourself in a position where the small business owner is actually making less. And you would be very surprised. Oh, yeah. I've been looking at P&Ls of business owners and stuff this last year, and some of them are not making as much money as they're risking, to be honest. No, not at all. 
it's tough. It's, it's definitely a, a weird situation though, like, because there's a balance in, in how you can provide jobs and as, as well as providing a good environment for your staff to work in and have that and giving them additional benefits outside mm-hmm. of this pay to make it work for you as a small business owner. But really the point of this, for me, the conversation is really like being in a position to be a business owner and an investor is mm-hmm. where you want to be because you don't want, you want inflation to be on your side. So we argue that as a business owner or as a corporation, the shareholders are driving that. Well, you need to become the shareholder. Because shareholders are the one giving money to companies to invest. That's where you want to be. You want to be the shareholder, whether that's of your own business, of shareholder of real estate, of stocks, or whatever your investment choice is. Because when inflation goes up, those do go up in value. Exactly. Yeah. You know, 100%. And just like everything else, I think it's so important to be in charge of your own destiny if you really want to have security. Mm-hmm. You know, and I made an Instagram post, I think it was last week, a couple weeks ago, that got a lot of response. But it was kind of a controversial topic where the U.S. is absolutely the land of opportunity, you know, and I acknowledge that. And so many people moved to the U.S. because of that. But if you don't want to take that opportunity, you're probably better off living in most other countries. Yeah, they're from a lifestyle standpoint, there could be a lot of other opportunity for people. For sure. Like if you're someone that just wants to like go to your super basic job, isn't that stressful? And then you want to go home and like, you know, just play your video games or like just you know do your crafts or do whatever. The United States is a hard place to live. Like, honestly, like you're not gonna be able to afford that many luxuries. Um, Like you'll be able to do some basic stuff. You're not gonna get a lot of time off. Like the, you know, maternity, parental stuff sucks. Working culture, healthcare sucks Mm -hmm. compared to a lot of other places in terms of like cost, not in terms of the actual care that you receive. So there's a reason that people come to the United States to get surgeries and things, Mm -hmm. right? But if that's outside of your ability to pay for, it's outside of your uh, affordability, you probably should go somewhere else. And that's an unfortunate truth. I heard they take longer lunch breaks in Spain. I think that's where I want to go. And they have free healthcare. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they have the siestas. Can I drink on my lunch break? That's what I care about. That is uh, frowned upon in the U.S. unless you're a business owner. You can do that in a lot of places. Just not in America. Just not in the States. Yeah. Well, I mean, unless you're yeah. in construction. Yes. <laughs> I mean, if you're in construction, you're you're pouring vodka into your white monster yeah. can before you get to the work oh, site. God <laughs> damn it. That's wrong. My wife and I, I don't know if you've seen this before, side tangent. So like when we yeah. go for walks, like through the entrance into our neighborhood and there's these like little teeny shooters of like plastic, like vodka bottles. That is like, that's an oh, alcohol, totally. right? Drink it on the way home, throw it out <laughs> the window. And we're like narrowing it down to who we think might be. Oh, the shit. There's probably someone that like walks around your neighborhood and like drinks those and uh, their spouse doesn't know. Now, this is totally a person that comes home from yeah. work. And throws them out the window so their spouse mm-hmm. doesn't see that they've been drinking shooters because they're probably not supposed to be drinking. Take a little mouthwash from the, the driveway. Like, you got it all figured out. Seriously, like, <laughs> really, so we have, like, we're, like, God, investigating yeah. this. We're kind of, we've narrowed it down to a certain area of the neighborhood. We really trying to make jokes about alcoholism. It's fucked up. It's a major problem. Yeah, I mean, I'm not joking about it. I'm just saying, I'm just trying to track out who the freaking yeah, litter bug is. Yeah, but, yeah, especially in your neighborhood. You live in a nice neighborhood. Bastards. But, yeah, what we were joking about before, we were making, we were making the joke about the bingo card with the, because I'm too getting called. And one of the guys in our uh, our mastermind, uh, Dan Corio out of Dallas, he uh, yeah, Milk. it goes by Milk. He uh, posted, he said, is there a bingo card for making friends with a bird on a house walk? And it's a picture of him with this little bird on his shoulder. I don't even, dude, the things that happen in this business are just like, what is the context? Well, we'll have to report right. back next week and let you guys know. Dude, seriously, you know, I, I'm going to, I'll post this photo. Somebody sent me a photo of them walking a property where there's two toilets side yeah. by side. I was like, why is this so common? 
like when in off-market real estate, like I'm not even surprised. I'm like, oh, two toilets. Yeah, that's totally, that's most bathrooms. Yeah. I don't know, man. Yeah, he's just hanging out with a bird. And it's funny because Dan's like a big dude. He's kind of like a man's man. Here he is hanging out with this little bird. Yeah. Like I don't even. Little parakeet. I think it's a parakeet. I don't know. I hate birds, man. My mom used to like birds growing up. I hate them. Yeah. Like chirping in the house. Well, yeah, it doesn't chirp nauseous. But tell you what, owls are freaking cool. Owls are cool, but they're super scary. When I held those owls in Japan, freaking scary, dude. I was waiting for it to kill me. Those are cute ones, though. I have a big like, one. Second biggest owl in the world. Oh, yeah. You, what kind of owl is that? The biggest owl in the world? Oh, uh, it's the second biggest. It's like the Eurasian owl. What, like two feet tall? Dude, I mean, hey, look, here, I'll send you the picture. It's on my Instagram. Dude, it's like bigger than my head. Like they're it's massive. And I had it on my shoulder. I mean, I've seen the owls, like, even around my house, I've seen them flying yeah. around at night, and they're, like, their wingspan is, like, yeah, huge. Yeah, this, they're massive. Yeah, the big they're ones, scary. like, six to eight feet. But, yeah, this one has a six-foot wingspan, and you could, like, hold it. But they're funny. They're really light because they're birds, but it could definitely, like, buck you up if it was sad. Anyway, wait, wait, we're <laughs> off in the gutter. Sorry. Right on, guys. Well, I think that's all that we have for you today. Uh, we should make these bingo cards, though. I feel like there's a lot of random things we could put on there. We should. Oh, that's a great idea. Let's do it. What we should do is we should have a competition. Okay, we can make these bingo cards. And yep. the first person to get like a bingo or like a blackout and they can send like photo evidence of each one, we'll send like $1,000 or something. I like it, dude. Some sort of competition. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or what, what we do, let, let's say let's say you buy a bingo card for like five bucks and whoever sells, like whoever like completes it first with photo evidence, they get like the pool of like all the one that did it. Gets yeah. the pool. Guess the pool. Yeah, I like so that idea. We should, we should explore this. I think there's something there. I like this. All right. Let's get our guy on it. Wholesaler bingo. Dude. Okay. I'm I'm into it. Let's go. Awesome. Cool, guys. But look out for wholesaler bingo coming to yeah. the Collecting Keys podcast near you. That's so funny. Thanks for listening, everybody. We appreciate it. If you want to get our free subject to course, which you will be able to get until January 1st, 2024 where you can learn how to protect yourself so that when you're subject to transaction that you bought that you thought you were being so smart about gets called just like ours did, that you're not in a bad spot. You can go to collectingkeys.com slash sub two and you can grab that. And uh, it's like 45 minutes, but we've been getting some good feedback on it so far. And it, it will give you everything you need to know to do those, those transactions correctly. Besides that, everybody, follow me on Instagram at Mike underscore invest and follow Dan at investor man Dan. And talk to you later. Thanks, everybody. See you.